Anthony. Papa Harrison. I have come to a decision. Have you now? I have come to a decision in my life. Wow. Yeah. I've made a judgment after much prayer and discernment, after um, agonizing over over all the possibilities of things. I have made I made a decision, which is video games are boring. Okay, what uh, <laughs> prompted this? You you are you are only the occasional gamer to begin I with. Am, well. So, because I keep on trying, right? So, uh, okay, let me rephrase this. I've I played some StarCraft lately with some friends, and that's been mm-hmm. fine. Because, but it's, for me, it's actually more the social element of it all than the actual game. Because that's actually quite easy when you're playing the computer, um, even at a harder level. Um, but so I bought something last. I bought a game last week. Uh huh. I bought Star Wars Squadrons. Oh yes, this is the big new game. Yes, because it you get it, to fight your very own Star War. It, yes, it it kind of ticked off every nostalgia marker for me. Right. Because back, so back in the day, I mean, like when I was in high school, I loved video games. I played them all the time. Warcraft 2, Starcraft, Descent, uh, X-Wing versus TIE Fighter was one of the big games I played in high school. You may be too young to know this game. Probably. I'm aware of it. I never You're played aware it. Of it. Yes, okay. Uh, back when games were really good. Um <laughs> So back in my day, <laughs> back in my day, we had to the back in my day the modem had to dial up. <laughs> That's true. I do remember this specifically for StarCraft. Yeah. Um. So, yeah. So I loved X Wing versus Tie Fighter. It was one of the best uh, games of the time. Graphics were pretty good for its time, and just the playability, the missions, and everything. Great game, right? So I bought it this weekend and played it a bit, and I was bored. You were bored. Now I heard the first like two hours of that game are just like basically tutorial. Well, there's that, but I've also I was I was playing practice run. I was playing multiplayer missions. Now part of it I, I recognize is I'm probably not the best at video games, mm. which doesn't help. Uh, but I'm also at that stage where I don't really feel like putting the effort in to get better at them. <laughs> you know? Uh-huh, yeah. Uh, and so, like, so you're playing multiplayer games, and you're just getting killed all the time because you have no idea what you're doing or whatever. But uh, you know, I was even <laughs> playing the game. And I was doing practice modes, and I was trying stuff out. And I'm like, it actually plays a lot like the original game. And in many ways, they've kept that feel in a great way. Yeah. But it was boring. Like, I, I played for an hour on Sunday night. I'm like, you know what? I'm done. I'm gonna go read a book. And I just, I don't know. I, I, I don't know. now this is I gotta be careful. I'm not this is not a judgment on anyone who does play video games. This is a personal <laughs> discernment. That I just My I, personal discernment is that all video games are boring. At all time and anyone who plays them are dumb. No. Yes, exactly. Uh, no, it's it, I've tried it. I've tried, I've tried, and like I don't mind playing games if I'm with friends, especially because that's right. a bit more enjoyable. That's there's that social element. But I think I just have to come. I've come to accept the fact that maybe games are not going to be a part of my life, and I'm okay with this. This is okay. Um, I've had ups and downs, like a lot in seminary. I did not play a lot of video games in seminary at all. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then at the end of seminary, as I got a little bit more checked out, when I should have been really paying more attention to my canon law of marriage class, uh, I was playing a lot of Minecraft, and I got pretty good at it. Uh, but yeah, it all depends. Um, but I definitely, I know it's better for me to stay away from like single-player games. Even though I enjoy them, I enjoy the storytelling and that sort of thing. That can take up a lot of my time. But I really, there's a few games I still play online with my friends. And it's because I'm playing with my friends that I enjoy it so much you know right so yeah but i think it's okay you don't have to like everything yeah it's okay to not like certain things yeah it is sure it's it's just i i've tried i've tried okay like i remember when we were in lockdown we were playing world of warcraft no yeah (laughs) it was so boring you know what i i kind of felt that way too i don't know why i liked it so much in high school uh but uh just yeah no it was just like it it was just like it's very repetitive yeah right when you're when you're in a dungeon whatever thingy mm-hmm. when you're doing to like a uh, a quest yes. it's just hit these three buttons over and over and over again yeah it was and a little bit that that's mm. kind of boring mm-hmm. you know i don't know i just i remember back in my day when games were good and wow. fun and strategic and there are still games like that i bet i could find yeah. you a game that you'd like but maybe you could but maybe you could yes yeah. so mm-hmm. well I, I i and i recognize like so part of my personality is like have, i'm a very obsessive personality so i recognize mm-hmm. that if i allow my interest to get into it i think that's part of the problem i reserve allowing my interest to get into it too much because if i do 
they will take over my life. Yes, and you have you have papers and paper pages of papers to write and books to publish. Yes, exactly. And things. Yes, so. a lot a lot going on right now actually. Mm-hmm. So because I've got so we'll announce this in a few weeks because we'll be doing a bit of a giveaway with this. I've got a little booklet coming out with my friend Michael Heinlein on the pandemic. Yeah, and like what's God saying in this moment? And then I've got second round of edits on my book with Pauline. Mm-hmm. I've got to start writing my Vatican II book, and then my my uh, thesis director wants two pages a week for my thesis. Wow, yeah. And then you mentioned something. I'm not going to say anything specifically, but that we might be doing something. Yes, maybe. Yes, yes. I, didn't, re- you... I didn't respond to your text, but no, maybe you we'll collaborate on a thing. Yes, maybe on a thing for a. Magazine, I'm open to this possibly. idea. Okay, cool, excellent, yeah. excellent. <laughs> uh, and and just before you know, I introduced the podcast. Uh, we're doing something new today. We are yes. So for we're 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 also putting this out on YouTube now. Uh, yes, we're YouTubers. We're YouTubers. Partially, this because, is how far we've fallen. Yes, exactly. Well, part of it is YouTube is the place for any medium of communication nowadays. For like a lot of people go to YouTube to listen to their podcasts. Mm-hmm. So see, I think we were. I'm excited for YouTube because most of the comments like on our reviews are very nice mm-hmm. and you know what i think we need to be humbled a little bit and just getting that opportunity for random youtubers to tell us that we're bad right. fake priests for That's wearing right. a, a hoodie instead of clerics yeah. uh, i'm very excited about it. it's like father why don't you why are you podcasting from your bedroom why are you podcasting yeah. from your bedroom yeah because that's very that's very unseemly for a priest <laughs> so i'm excited for that part yeah because behind my computer i have pillows stacked mm-hmm to stop yes. the echo of my voice into yes. the microphone. So this is why I do it from this room. It's perfect. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, so we're just trying it out new. I have, I do have a better camera. It's a bad one this week, but I do have a better camera uh, for next week. I just brought home the wrong cords. So yeah, welcome to Clerically Speaking. I'm Father Harrison. Uh, I'm Father Anthony. Father Harrison, I have a joke. Oh, okay. Are you ready? I'm sure. Now just go along with the regular joke format. Don't try to ruin Don't try it, to okay? smart it or anything. Let's okay. just, just do it. Okay. Just go, okay. So I'll tell you the joke, then I'll tell you the background. Okay. What is red and bad for your teeth? I don't know. A brick! <laughs> oh my gosh. Every parent whose, ki- whose kids are around when listening to this podcast are going to be so happy with that joke. Exactly. It's make so- all the kids happy. <laughs> so on my day off, recently. Joke. I'm going over to my friend's place, and they have uh, three lovely children. And, of course, if you have kids, you have various joke books. (laughs) But apparently they were reading some books before they went to bed, and uh, they came in to tell us this joke. And I genuinely started laughing out loud. I (laughs) loved it so much. It was so unexpected. Well, exactly. And that's what makes a good joke, right? Is that it's, it's, you do not, I was thinking, like, what, is this like a three-parter? You're going to say something about like a candy or something like that? Nope, a brick. Nope, just a good old-fashioned jokey joke, yeah. and uh, there you go. <laughs> I mean, okay, what else? how else can you make that joke then? Like, what's, um, I don't know. I'm trying, now, what's, the hard thing is a lot of things don't have a universal color. So brick is actually, this is actually a really brilliant joke in many ways. It's, the more I think it's about great. It. It's great. And it was in some like little kid's joke book where I'm like, wow, that this. was, my expectations were very low. No, no yeah. offense to to uh, my friend's kids who I love very much. Uh, two of whom I've baptized, one of whom I am the godfather of. Yeah. But low expectations. And then yep. they get a brilliant joke like that. Loved it. Loved it. Knocked my yeah. socks off. Because usually when a kid says a joke, it's like, so I got a joke for you. Oh, okay. Yeah. What is it? Knock, knock. Uh, who, who's there? Orange. Orange who? <laughs> Orange who? Knock, knock. Who's, okay. Who's there? You know, <laughs> We're you know, not going to do this yeah, whole thing. We're not going to do this whole you know, thing. Yeah, that's a, it's a stuff you've heard before. This is... Yes. It, that was great. That was nice. Yeah. So you enjoyed so, hanging out with them? Yeah. So it's become more of a routine that after uh, Sunday Mass and the youth group, I uh, go over to my friend's place. Yep. Uh, my buddy Carl and I, we, we lift weights to make sure that we keep ourselves accountable and then we hang out with the family and then we play Dungeons and Dragons nice. which I have mentioned before wow well, this has become a super nerdy podcast like it was yeah. before but I don't know how many times <laughs> we talked games, about video D&D. games and Dungeons and Dragons <sighs> but it's the best thing ever it is so much fun the only nice. problem with it is it has kind of ruined my life in the sense that like uh, I am I am becoming an old person, and so staying up to like one o'clock in the morning just ruins the rest of my week as far as sleep wise. So that's why a uh, little bit sleepy today. Uh, yeah. But yes, this is good. Nice, awesome. And it's it's important to do things like this on our day of rest. Right. I I, I think I'm, you would like Dungeons and Dragons. 
I possibly could. Yep. Oh my gosh, you would. I just, I just, again, I recognize it could be a massive time suck. It, it can be, but if you keep it to like a certain schedule and right. uh, don't start at eight o'clock at night like we do, uh, but that's also, but anyway, you have yes. to wait till the kids go to bed. This is true, and then we have right. to be careful not to yell, which is very difficult. Right. Because many exciting things happen. Yeah. Yeah. It's no, these are good things. You, you. It sounds like you always spend your days of rest well. Usually, usually yeah. I do. Uh, yeah. That's good. That's important. Yeah. We all need a day of rest. This is true, right? We all need sometimes a day of rest. several. I'm trying to not. It's really hard though, because this is part of the reason I was trying out the video games because I'm like, I recognize that once I have my day of rest, I don't know what to do with it. And part of it is because a lot of my friends don't live nearby; they're all like an hour and a half, two hours away. Yeah. So that's a long trip just to go see someone for a few hours. Right. Um, so there's that at play. And then I, uh, so yeah, I'm just like, I'm trying really hard not to do schoolwork, even on Mondays, even though it's enjoyable. We all need uh, <laughs> what? I, okay. But I'm a nerd. Okay. Just, yeah, just, no, I, just I wasn't going to say it. I, I mean, your word's not mine. I'm not saying it's a bad thing. I just think it's a humorous thing. It is. So, uh, but it's, I'm like, so what do I do? What do mm-hmm. I do? What do I do? Anyways, um, I'll actually speak a bit more about that in our presbyteral exhortations. But before we get cool. there, like in Dungeons and Dragon, we have to go through a journey. Yes. We have to make choices along the way. Indeed. And you have to roll dice. And people yeah. always roll their dice when they have to listen to the Summa Tweetologica bumper. Mm-hmm. So let's roll those dice and let's go into the Summa Tweetologica. Summa Tweetologica. Summa Tweetologica. dice roll because people will either click the 15 second button twice or three times. Yeah, but then they're missing out some good banter afterwards. Are they? Of course. Yeah. But But hey, if you watch on YouTube, if you watch on YouTube, we used to go right into it. So (laughs) there's there's that. This is going to be the interesting with YouTube is like we have to we have to pause for like two seconds because we need to give Nick time to insert the Suma stuff. You're not. Yeah. Hey, those people who don't like the Suma bumper can just watch the YouTube clips. There you go. You're there welcome. You go. You're welcome. You see, we are we are priests of the people, always thinking of the people, right? Yeah. Uh, so yeah. So our uh, so the uh, Summa Theologica of Saint Thomas Aquinas' summary of theology, and the Summa Tweetologica is our summary of things we found interesting on Twitter. And so uh, the first one comes from Father Joshua J. Whitfield, and uh, he says. Hidden often behind what you want preachers to preach, i.e. when you say priests should preach on X, is what you don't want preachers to preach, which is what you need to hear. Pray to be open to the gospel you need to hear, less on the gospel you think others need to hear. And I was like, this is a great tweet. This is a, because you hear it, I hear it all the time. Father, we need to hear more on abortion or on contraception or on hell or on this or on that. And I'm like, but you're, you're saying this, but you're, you're, those are usually the people who don't need to be convinced about this, right? The whole point of preaching is to open the heart to a deeper encounter with Christ, to a deeper living out of the gospel. Now, sometimes, absolutely, the readings or a situation in our society or culture absolutely requires preaching on that. But you don't want to hear it every single weekend either, right? It, it become because it becomes an ideology. Like I, I still love, I, I quote it all the time. It's Pope Benedict's first little bit from Deus Caritas Est. Being Christian is not an ethical choice or a lofty idea, but the encounter with an event, a person, which gives life a new horizon, decisive direction. Christianity is not about intellectual system, mystical experiences, or even morality. It's about Jesus in which these things are rooted in. 
And so ultimately, preaching is about bringing about encounter with Jesus. And sometimes it means directly addressing moral faults in a parish's culture. But often, like, I don't know about you, but I often find like you have, we have to play a long game in preaching, which is helping people have an encounter with the person of Jesus through his church. And that takes time, effort, prayer, fasting, and a lot of repetition in preaching. Yeah, and I think <clears throat> there's a, a pitfall people can fall into. So if you, you know, are very consciously trying to live out your Catholic life, you're trying to grow in the spiritual life, uh, there's a temptation to become more of a critic of the liturgy and the homily instead of a participant in it, um, where you always approach the homily um, kind of uh, from an outsider's point of view. Like mm-hmm. you're detached from it. You're in a safe space from it. So I will hear, I will listen to see if Father preaches well, if he preaches about what I want. And it's not something that happens maliciously. It can just yep. sort of happen. Especially if you're in ministry and you are, if you are a public speaker mm-hmm. or you are well read, it's very tempting not to uh, encounter what the priest is preaching about uh, in the homily. It's also going to be hard to encounter what the priest is preaching about if he's a bad preacher. Like, okay, right. yes, absolutely, sure, fine, fine, fine. But also, if you trust that the Holy Spirit is working, sometimes even in spite of the priest, uh, that you can gain something from uh, the homily. Yeah. And so, yeah, it's it's everyone wants other people to be challenged by the homily. The difficult thing is to allow yourself to be challenged by it. Uh, you have to, you have to um, not be so detached from what's going on and kind of enter humbly uh, into it. Yeah. Uh, and, and trusting that this isn't just the time for the priest to say things. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is all a part of the liturgy. This is all a part of where heaven meets earth. Like there's a lot going on here. So you have to uh, go into it with a correct attitude or else uh, you're just going to be a critic. And it's yep. very easy to be a critic. It's it's very, it's much more difficult to be a penitent. Um, yes. <laughs> you know, and like me too. Uh, yeah. And it's just so, uh, I was, uh, I'm hitting a, uh, I've been hitting a dry spot yep. in prayer for lots of reasons and, and there's a lot of things going on. And I just keep like reminding myself of all the things I have told other people in my homilies about what to do and how not to act. And like, Anthony, you are literally doing all the things that you tell people not to do, right? So uh, the, the priest also needs to be uh, convicted as well. Absolutely. And if you trust that God always has something to say to his people, which uh, I think is a reasonable expectation, he is the word, uh, then uh, that can help open your ears and your heart to, mm-hmm. one, to preaching if you're the preacher, right? Like, uh, I'm not just saying what I want to say. Christ is leading me in what to say. Right. And also that uh, Christ wants to speak to you. Yes. In the homily, and I think wait, that last point you made is so important. A good, a good priest, I should say, they may not be technically, like in terms of like technique, a good preacher, but a good priest is always going to listen in prayer to what Christ wants him to speak mm-hmm. in the homily. Now, it's not in listen. You know, Jesus is not speaking to us in audible words, saying, "You're going to preach on X this weekend." But that there's it's a piece, very rare, right? But it's you know sometimes there's a there is a conviction to say I want you to say this or um, 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 you, there's a piece of heart that comes from encountering the scriptures that says oh this is this is definitely what I need to preach on, and um, and that means that the priest is listening because it's the homily is not a place to get up and preach ideology. No. Which which does happen with certain some priests sure. on on all forms of the political spectrum, um, but that's not really the place for for that. Um, it's not a place to yeah. It, it's a place to foster an encounter. Like the homily is a liturgical action, which means through the work of the liturgy, Christ is drawing his people into a participation into his life through his word that is preached. And therefore, it's a spiritual encounter with the Gospels. That's why, like, this is my other thing with them. This is why I hesitate to often, often offer. I mean, listen, you you ought to sometimes, but um, I, I hesitate to offer practical tips in homilies. This is just a personal thing, okay. but because I've always found the the homilies the place to enlighten. Yeah, this thing because like you'll hear uh, advice like always like. G- have some sort of action item mm-hmm. in the homily. Mm-hmm. And sometimes I agree with that, but sometimes I don't. Because sometimes what people need is an encounter with God. Yeah. Or a change of heart that isn't necessarily like action things may, may lead from that. Mm-hmm. I think it's it, you have to keep in mind uh, that aspect 
uh, of preaching. But the homilies that have changed my life, a lot of them, I couldn't tell you exactly what was said, but I can tell you I encountered Christ in that, and yeah. that made me want to change my life. I still, um, I think I've mentioned it before on the podcast, but uh, I still remember. Uh, it was just before the Eucharistic Congress in Quebec City. They were having a youth gathering, and I was a representative for my diocese. So I went the year before, and we were at one of the pilgrimage sites in Quebec. And uh, Card- then Archbishop Collins, uh, now Cardinal Collins, was preaching at this mass, and he had this whole de- this whole story about the Desert Fathers and how you have to become fire. I still remember that homily to this day. Mm-hmm. It it impacted me in such a way to to become fire. Mm-hmm. But he didn't give me practical tips. He just enlightened me. He, he he opened up my spirit to encounter God, to respond to God as God sees fit to, for me to respond to him in that moment, in my concrete way of life. See, I think that's why like I hesitate because it's like the person with five kids, how they're going to live the gospel is going to be very different than the widow in the pews. Yeah, right? it's true. Mm-hmm. Anyways, this is getting into homely stuff. But in the end, I, I, I think we just need to, we all need to learn receptivity a bit more. Yeah, receptivity and humility on the yeah. part of the preacher, which also can include deacons yeah. and uh, of the listeners as well. I which, guess. <laughs> no, no. <laughs> oh, poor deacons. Uh, but yeah. Cool. What do you got? Uh, so uh, long-time listeners of the show will know that we have two producers, producer Nick and producer Riley, both Sharapas. And uh, producer Riley, she takes care of communications and sort of thing. And up until this point, she's done a very good job. But, uh, and I hate to do this in a public way without <laughs> uh, first talking to her, but she's fired. She's fired because we have a, a, a thread where we pick out tweets, mostly Father Harrison does this, because um, he's better at Twitter than I am, that we will talk about on the Summa Theologica. Riley had the audacity. Audacity to, is, is even perhaps a weak word. Yeah, it is. But I'm trying to stay composed. I'm trying to go about this in a fatherly way. Uh-huh. Stern, but fatherly. Yeah. Um, but really, there's a line, and she crossed it because yep. she put this tweet, which is from her, and it also the content. So, But you know what, Riley? If this is what you want, there are consequences to our actions. We will read your tweet and discuss it, and you will be fired. Okay. <laughs> All right. Riley Sharapa. My uh, my sister-in-law says this. How much fun would it be if you had to do interpretive dance while you prayed the Eucharistic prayers? So I'm actually going to try to talk about this in a serious way. Now, Riley's obviously joking, right? Yeah. Well, she, uh, but, she's doing this in response to, what should I talk about the podcast this week? <laughs> yes, exactly. Uh, so guess what? Audacity. You got you got your way. You got your way. Okay, Riley? Yeah. Um, first of all, like the one one of the things that I really enjoy about the mass is that I don't have to make stuff up. Like I have to give talks, I have to preach, I have to uh, interact with people. It's a very dynamic process of of listening to the person and to the Holy Spirit. All this uh, is part of priestly work, and I love it very much. But it's nice to be like the mass is here, and I just get to pray it. Right. And actually, one of the more difficult things, the more frustrating things uh, as a priest is that when the people don't participate in the liturgy, it feels like you're running a like you're putting on a show. When people aren't participating in the liturgy, uh, both prayerfully and with, you know, their liturgical uh, responses and actions, uh, it it very much feels like you are hosting the world's most boring cooking show. Right. Right. So the idea of having to do uh, more put more of my personality into the liturgy is literally horrifying for me. Like Absolutely. imagine having to like do another thing with oh, the liturgy where mass can't be like your place of rest where you have to do <laughs> interpretive dances yeah. for, now first of all, like we all, we all know this is, this is illegal. We cannot do this. No, yes. would we ever, but it, it did like make me think of like, did I tell you this story about uh, something a wedding photographer said to me after a wedding? No. I don't know if I shared it on the podcast. Uh, but it, it has forever scarred me, but I think ultimately for the better. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was after I did a wedding and I was, the wedding photographer was there and I decided to you know, strike up a conversation with this guy to you know, kind of make a joke, make a connection or something like that, right? And I uh, said, uh, did, you, did you take a picture? Did you get my good side when you're taking pictures? Mm-hmm. Me, obviously joking because the wedding is not about me. And he goes, oh yeah, yeah, don't worry, I got you. Uh, and then I said, well, he's, you know, the wedding really is all about me. And then he's, and I was joking. I thought I was joking. And he just looks at me like deadpanned and says, yeah, you can really tell. 
And I was like, oh no. It like made me rethink everything that yeah. I was doing. Cause like for, I mean, who knows? Who knows where this guy was coming from? Yeah. Um, or whether or not uh, he, well, who knows? Who knows? Yeah. But I had to look at myself and be like, how am I doing this? How am I treating this? Because there can be a temptation when people don't know what's going on with the mass. Um, uh, so you have to give them directions and that sort of thing. There may be a desire to give people a good experience, right? So you're more yeah. worried about the person, like giving them a good experience instead of just like preaching the gospel and celebrating the sacrament. And whether or not he was right or wrong, that really made me relook at how I did weddings. Yeah. And uh, it, it changed me. Uh, yeah. Like uh, the way I saw weddings is, is much more simple and much more solemn now. Yeah. Uh, because um, We're supposed I was to be doing... Yeah, basically, right? So like for the wedding homily, I'm... I'm just preaching about the sacraments. Um, if I know something about the couple and it's helpful to to the uh, the homily and to the point, maybe I'll add that. But yeah. even that's very rare. Yeah. Um, so uh, there's always a temptation um, f- when you are really in any ministry, because um, ministry is is often you use your personality so much in it. There can be a temptation to put on a show, to try to get people mm-hmm. to like you, try to do all stuff, and and that desire, which I think is in in everybody's heart, needs to be killed. Yeah. Um, so that's why I thought of my, when I saw this tweet. You see, this question wouldn't come up if we were just all doing ad orientum. It probably wouldn't. <laughs> uh, <laughs> well, because no, I actually say that half jokingly because, in a way, that is that destroys the idea of the personality cult around the priest, mm-hmm. right? Um, so a couple things. Um, first is Riley probably hasn't heard Eucharistic prayer one very much because it is kind of like a dance. There is, there is. There's, there's, there's a little it, bit like, more putting your hands it, together and there's, a, there's bowing, there's the a little bowing, bit crossing. There's, crossing, there's a little, bit, a little you know, more action to it, sure. A little bit more action but to it, only right? really a little bit more. It's a bit more, but and there's the striking of the breast and right. everything like that. Like there, there is movement and stuff like this. But um, so first, the reason uh, liturgical dance doesn't exist in the church is it has no tradition and, and is pretty much at least in I would say in 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 the European and North American context, it really has go. no place. Okay. Yes. Uh, it's not our culture to do so. No. It, it gets into interesting questions around stuff like Africa and stuff like that. And it's interesting. It's actually quite a debate even in African circles sometimes. Like, interesting. Like, I think Cardinal Seurat has kind of spoken against it, hmm. interestingly enough, while other people have seen it as, at certain points, like the offertory and stuff like that, that's just part of their culture, mm-hmm. right? Um, so, um, but it's different there. It is really different. It's not like, it's not the usual, like, put on some leotards and dance with ribbons around the sanctuary stuff, which I have seen. I have yeah. seen. Yeah. And just, just, you know, kept it all inside. But, um, well, yeah, let's, let's, let's yeah. just take a little more time with this okay. because I know people who no malice on their part. They were growing up in a parish and liturgical dance was a part of their parish and they wanted to serve in some way. And so they participated mm-hmm. in this mm-hmm. and then they find out all of a sudden this was not a thing that they were supposed to be doing. Right. 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 So first of all, that's not their fault at yeah. all. Right. Yeah. Uh, but and this is also a difficult thing, because uh, when you talk about like things that are authentic to a culture, like what is the culture in the U.S.? Do we right. even have a culture? Like, do we have a common culture? Like, yeah, how can rebellion. there be? Well, yeah, it is. <laughs> but like, that's just I mean, maybe this is getting too much into the weeds. But like, how can you have uh, because there is in the history of the church, uh, and even I think there's even allowances for for it uh, now in certain ways uh, for you know authentic cultural expressions to mm-hmm. uh, become traditions, right? Right. But when you have a when you don't have a common culture, it it feels like all of those things that we try to do are just trying to pull from other cultures that aren't our own. I know. Uh, it becomes like a usurping of other people's cultures, yeah. and it often comes because we don't understand what the mass is by itself right right and so there's two things with that first is actually um it's the problem of it's a problem a person a byzantine catholic brought up to me once and i thought it's actually kind of a good point Mm. the roman right has gone beyond rome (laughs) yeah right while a lot of the other rights of the church are according to geography they are and they're not wrong they're not wrong. Yeah. And so this is always this has always been the tension in the Roman Rite is that it has its form in its way, but it, you know, is 
ought there not perhaps to be other rites in the church that are according to certain cultures and liturgical traditions that could allow for it? Not, I'd say, you know, Western Europeanish, like North America, probably Roman, but like South America, does Roman, does Roman make sense? Or should there be a right for people in South America or something like that? I don't know. I'm just asking questions. Yeah. I'm just asking questions. It's also uh, tough, like because when you ha- when you had developments uh, of, of the rights and different things that go around the rights in medieval times, like the lack of communication kind of facilitated that and made that possible. And a lot yeah. of times there was an emphasis both from Rome and outside Rome. Like people outside Rome wanted to imitate Rome, mm-hmm. um, and people uh, sometimes popes and and people from Rome wanted people to conform to the Roman right. right. But because there isn't that easy communication, you would have different traditions uh, yeah. spring up and have their own theology to them and kind of grow from the culture. And that seems like not quite as a, it's not as much of a possibility when communication is so yeah. uh, instant, right? Um, and it's interesting because like Pope Benedict, he's even given kind of, you could call it rights within the right. So like the ordinariate, the yeah. Anglican ordinariate, they get to keep their liturgical traditions and stuff. Now yeah. they're Roman based, so it's part of the Roman right and under jurisdiction of Rome. But it's its own right with its own. <laughs> it's so weird because it's like a tree branch that like yeah. shot out and then like grafted itself back in yeah. in a different way. It's but really like, fascinating how that works. The Ambrosian right is part of the Roman right. It's mm-hmm. it's a it's a branch underneath Rome, um, right. but it's its own distinct right that mm-hmm. has its own distinct practices and stuff like this. So it's not a bad so it's not a bad discussion to be had, and I think it would actually clear up a lot of the issues around the liturgy wars that we have so often. But this gets me to the second point I wanted to quickly say was. I've I've learned to become pretty solemn in how I celebrate Mass. Now, when I preach, that's different, partially because I can't. You can't. You can't take your personality out of preaching, right? No. It's not possible. I mean, how you, you speak, you, you can. can you can, of. I guess, but I, I would find that very difficult to do. Yeah. Um, but like when I'm pretty solemn, I'm pretty straight faced when I'm celebrating the Mass, not mm-hmm. because I'm there as a service so that Christ can do His work. It's yeah. really actually not about me. No. It actually has nothing to do with me. Um, and so I try my hardest to be invisible. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So like, um, right, sorry. No, I mean, let, me I rephrase, I let, me, let me rephrase that. Let me rephrase that quickly. Yeah. Uh, to allow my personality to be invisible mm-hmm. so that Christ can shine through the action. That's and, probably a better way to put it. Like I totally, I get that. And I'm not sure if this is a pushback or just a counterpoint or whatever, an adjacent point maybe. But the one thing that I found very early on that when I was celebrating mass, I was consciously trying to sound like I was praying. Hmm. I was trying to sound like I was praying. The mass was still new. I still wasn't used to celebrating it in front of people. So the goal was to make the mass sound prayerful. Right. And that can, there's an artificiality there. Uh, And so now it's like, okay, Anthony, try to pray. And so if I'm praying the mass, it is going to look different when I do it than someone else does it. Right. Mm -hmm. So there's going to be a little bit, of, mm-hmm. of, of me in there. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Right. So, like, that's just the kind of, I mean, yeah. yeah. Uh, because if you try <laughs> to sound uh, robotic, then that's not going to be helpful either. Because right. it's weird. Like, I mean, we're broken vessels, but we are the vessels Christ uses. So, there is always a tension there, right? Yeah. Yeah. No, and I, and I, I would agree with you there. I mean, I, I guess when I say take personality out of it, I mean, um, to that there is a kind of dying that there is a kind of a, a cruciform way of celebrating the mass in which you die to self so that christ may reign in you and so that but doesn't mean annihilation of the self it just means a dying to self so that christ can make the true self shine forth and this is actually why i think singing a lot of the parts of the mass actually clarifies a lot of those problems mm-hmm, right because right. when you sing it it's you're just doing the tone and yeah. and it's very hard to tell what to say oh they're not doing it prayerfully or whatever it's because it's just you're singing the parts and i like to sing the part i I, my goal one day is to sing a whole mass that'd be fun that'd be fun cool that so i guess riley is actually not fired because she actually i'm not saying she was right to do what she she did oh no she was wrong she even said she's just trying to set things on fire right but Uh, christ can bring uh good even out of evil. I think that's what happened today. So praise God for that. Yes. Praise God that he gave us this. Yeah. Anyway, I, no, I had a joke and I lost it. So never mind. <laughs> uh, all right. Let's, uh, let's head on to presbyteral exhortations. And now it is time for presbyteral 
exhortations. Oh, yes. yes. Quite good, quite good. Indubitably. Mm -hmm. I bet they can't wait to learn. They're gonna learn so much. It's my favorite part. It's the best part. Yes, yes, quite. Yes, quite. All right, so uh, actually this coming weekend, I've got a little talk I recorded uh, mm. for this Evangelion conference thing in New Zealand. Uh, we have a lot of listeners in New Zealand. I've, I've been starting to find out, um, which is kind of cool. So hi, everyone from New Zealand. Uh, hello. Hello. Uh, so in my haste, I, was, I have some ideas that I'm still percolating on in terms of topics, uh, but they're not well formed yet So because they're coming from a lot of my reading lately so here we go so instead i'm like wait i have talks written <laughs> why not why reinvent the wheel <laughs> right so uh I, I mean this is going to go a little bit differently obviously than the talk i gave because right. uh we're actually gonna have a conversation about it but uh i want to talk let me just find my notes here i'm gonna just pull that up and put it to the side so that i can actually still see father anthony there we go there we go all right. Uh, so uh, it's it, it, the there's three points to the talk. It, it's it's kind of like talking about the, the problem of desire around acedia, but mm. placing it in the context of what Pope uh, Pope Francis calls spiritual worldliness. So I'm going to give a little bit, and we can talk, and then move on from there. So so prior to be, being elected Pope. Cardinal Bergoglio preached a four-minute sermon on self-referential spirituality. I think that's a a massive problem in the church. I at least in my he calls it navel gazing, right? Or you could call it spiritual navel gazing. And in his talk, he warns a ch against a church that becomes self-referential, and that when she does this, she be, she believes she has her own light. And then when she does this, uh, he concludes the harm that enters the church is what he calls spiritual worldliness now that's what that phrase is what stuck out to me what is he spiritual worldliness that's not usually what you hear usually you hear about the church has become too worldly like we think about it's become too worldly akin to material or political ends but he's talking about a spiritual worldliness that means that the world's spiritual attitudes have entered the church so um so, like, I want to talk first, like, because I, I think to understand what he means by spiritual worldliness, we need to understand what he means by being self-referential. So, what do you think he means when he talks about a self-referential spirituality, not just in terms of individually, but on the part of the whole church, too? Yeah, there's a way uh, that you can, uh, that spirituality can be an indulgence of the ego instead of an encounter with the other. Yeah. Um, uh, maybe you get a little bit uh, biblically speaking of the of the Pharisee who's uh, thanking God that he's not like the rest of sinners, mm -hmm. or um, where instead of encountering God, uh, you're either just um, uh, you're only encountering the self. That's the first thing that kind of that strikes me. Um, I think honest people encounter the problem of how do I know when I'm speaking to God and how do I know when I'm just thinking to myself? Mm -hmm. um, whereas a spiritual worldliness is just an indulgence in thinking about yourself. That means right. that's that's kind of what strikes me about. It. Yeah, and I I, I I think it's absolutely on the right track. And I would just kind of um, I would push that a bit further to say like where my spiritual needs trump the spiritual the needs of others. Oh, okay, yeah. yeah. Like so, like, so you're right because that's coming from like I'm just all I. All I care about is number one. All I care about yeah. is if I get to heaven, right? Without, yeah, without it's, a it's very much like a, of the what church. are uh, what? How many holiness points? Going back to video games, like how many holiness points do I have? Right. If I get enough Jesus points, so I get to go to heaven. Right. Uh, I need to go to my mass at my mass time for my Eucharist. Yeah. Uh, it's very much me and my sacraments. It, it's a it's an atomization instead of an entering into the, right. you know, the wider people of God. Yeah. Um, and I th yeah. So uh, well, I'm going to bring one little thing I've been reading actually this last week. Have, re have you ever read uh, Henri de Lubac's Catholicism? I have read parts of it. It's so good. <laughs> it mm -hmm. is so good. And one of the best parts about it is that he's got so many footnotes that you feel like you're speeding through the book. You feel like a genius. It's true. Know? And most of his, most, it's just mostly quoting church fathers, isn't it? I don't, it's so good. Because he he's trying to say that the church's primary first social 
she's she's social first father anthony is leaving us he's left us he's gone to find the book i bet did he find the book do you go to find the book <laughs> I made a terrible podcasting error. I realized as I reached for the book, I took out my headphones. I know. I was like, where's he going? <laughs> yeah. So anyways. But the be- hey, this is excellent YouTube content. This is Look at this. YouTube content. This, this is, is the book. This is how we push product. Um, yeah. It's a great book. And I've been reading that for my doctoral studies. But Dulu Back talks about that the church by her nature is social. That God's saving action is for the whole world and the whole church it's not an individualist way as we tend to see so when we talk about saving our souls we tend to think oh i just need to look out for myself but so, mm-hmm. so self-referential spirituality comes from this atomized vision of the self that you're talking about that we're not connected so like he Dulu back talks about how uh how when becoming the new man saint paul says put on the new man he's not talking about becoming a new creation in yourself he's actually saying Enter into Christ, who is the new man, of which the whole church is a part of. Mm -hmm. That's huge, right? That moves us away from a self-referential spirituality. Because um, when you you become self-referential, I think the church becomes a museum rather than a sacrament. Mm. Becomes ossified in caring only for herself. And and then it's there that she the light she thinks it is our own we are we make our own light and this comes out i would say in both kind of radical traditionalist mentalities and radical liberal mentalities in the church Mm -hmm. uh they both have this this idea we create our own light we are the light they lost the sacramentality which is actually like we were talking about earlier we are the bearer of something it is not our own and so so we receive the light from christ the the church is the universal sacrament of salvation. And so to to actually live out that sacramentality of the church, there needs to be a humility that, that stops looking at myself. Any thoughts? Yeah, it's, uh, I mean, this is the big thing. And this is, this is a good way to kind of check up on yourself, spiritually speaking. Mm-hmm. Uh, the more, the more spiritual you become, uh, the more, uh, in love you fall, uh, is the more it's just a constant process of having your heart be crucified yeah that a catholic should never be comfortable um and that doesn't mean that you're in a constant state of anxiety or panic because that does not come from god Mm -hmm. um there is a a peace that ultimately god is in control that he is with me but uh you know and we're going to talk about uh the the pope's uh encyclical um uh, fratelli tutti uh coming up soon um at least i want to is that with one l or two l's uh, fratelli, uh, it's two L's, isn't it? Fratelli. Oh no, Nona. Nona is Nona with one N. Nona or two has ends. two N's. No, 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 no. None of this. <laughs> sorry. None of this sorry. inside sorry. jargon. Sorry, sorry. Okay. Um, <laughs> but one, he talks a lot. I mean, I yeah. think what you just said is the key to understanding this very big encyclical. Um, but oh man, what was my point? Oh shoot, 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 shoot. Sorry, I threw you off your point. You did. Um, we're but talking, that is okay. We're talking about self-referential um, spirituality. Self-referential and being, spirituality. And being a sacrament yeah. of the world being a sacrament of the world we're not the bearer of the light we are bearers we're not owners of the light Mm-hmm. that's all right oh well i'll come back to me okay sorry that's my fault i forgive you thank you thank you <laughs> uh yeah but yeah so I, I think the way we work away from this is, is what we hear in gaudium et spes right that famed paragraph 24 which john paul ii helped write right that you see uh self-referential spirituality is part of the spirit of the world that has reached into the church. But the church's mindset is, what do I get out of this? It's not, it's not that. It's never that. It's what can I give away, right? It's that phrase, man cannot find himself except through a sincere gift of self. That you only gain, it's the law of the gift. You only gain by giving away. And that this needs to be the primary mode and action of our being as Christians if we cease to put the other as our first consideration, then we become self-referential and take on the spirit of the world. And this is a, this is a real problem. And I, and I say it's a real problem because, hey, guess what? We are always going to, in a way, have our feet in the world and in the church. Mm-hmm. And we're unconsciously going to take in the spirit of the world in many different ways, forms, and fashions. But a spiritual person 
will become aware of how worldly spirituality is impeding themselves living the law of the gift. And that's what we need to become more aware of. I think like that's a great examination of conscience is how am I living yeah. so that I give it myself away? Right. Yeah. Okay. So I remembered uh, my point. Cool. Uh, as soon as Fratelli Tutti uh, <laughs> came out, uh, someone commented that everyone's going to be looking for paragraphs that support their own ideology. Yeah. Right. And uh, which is, yeah, I mean, you see, that's very self-referential. Like, how can I use what the Pope is saying mm -hmm. to prove that I am right so that I can stay comfortable in my theologian's armchair? Now, now, I think if you read what the Pope is saying and you agree with it, that's a good thing. But if you really agree with what he's saying, is it challenging you? Is it convicting you? Mm -hmm. Right? That's how you, you step beyond the self-referential. Like, like, okay, I'm really glad what the Pope is saying about uh, the atomization of culture and the pursuit of profit before uh, love of neighbor and all that stuff. But then, and he makes a point of it in his writing as well. It's like, wait, wait, this isn't just a... a a, a issue for governments to solve or for other people or for me to comment on from the outside. Um, I have to enter into this uh, to accompany another, to um, show people love, to bring the gospel to others in a way that the gospel should be brought to them, right? And anyone who's a serious Christian will immediately know in their heart the ways that they fail in that. Mm -hmm. So you can agree. Absolutely. Good. Fine. You agree. Good. Uh, but do you feel the accusation about those parts, those unconverted parts of your uh, heart? Right. Yeah, That's what makes it different. You know, it, it was very interesting. I, I was preaching this weekend on the gospel, obviously. and uh, <laughs> Good job. Yay. It was, it was one of those homily experiences where I wrote like five different homilies and none of them worked. Those are so frustrating. Yeah. So frustrating. It, because, and here's why. I was actually really afraid to preach on that gospel. Huh. Because it was, a, it's about, it had a lot to say about judgment and wrath. Yeah. And it, the reason I realized I was uncomfortable was because it was challenging me too. Mm. I too was under judgment. And so when you, you find yourself under judgment to grow, to bear the fruits of the kingdom, etc. Uh, how do I want to put this? You, um, you're hesitant to preach on this because you know you need to be challenged to live this gospel in a deeper way as well. That's and that's this is why priests are hesitant. A good, I hope, I pray, I think I'm a decent priest to the point where I could say, a good priest will recognize, will hesitate to preach on things, if he really recognizes he needs to work on that in his life, right? Yeah, and that's, that's when, hard. I think yeah, and that's yeah, hard because I think it's yeah, yeah. Sorry, uh, it's it's when you realize that you have a duty as father to do something, mm -hmm. um, and that's what will push you over the edge. Mm -hmm. But then you also have to like take your own preaching seriously and right. that's tough like well, it's, it's, i like are you are you wild grape have god is an i mean uh, i'm sorry i'm interrupting you a lot um no. but like if god has done all this stuff for you he's set up the tower he's built the hedge he's tilled the ground and like how many times have i produced wild grapes i've gone mm -hmm. off after my own endeavors instead of giving my life to the parish like that's right. a horrifying thing to realize when you're absolutely. preaching to the people absolutely i mean like for me where the where it was like i was really challenging i was kind of preaching on the pandemic and how i was trying to give him a bit of a spiritual interpretation of the moment kind of like what i've mm -hmm. been writing about on this and i i because part of it was i really do believe that um where a lot of leadership has failed they've been right in implementing policies they've failed to be fathers and yes that's not okay Right? No. It's not, and I said that. Listen, this is not okay. You guys deserve to hear what is God doing. But here's mm -hmm. the thing. Here's what what is God doing? He's purifying His church. He's judging. Yeah. He's put her under judgment. Mm -hmm. And it's okay to say that. And we need to start bearing fruits of the kingdom. And for me, where I was really like challenged by it is service to the poor, which I do have mm -hmm. a heart for. But for whatever reason, it kind of fell off the last few years. But it's becoming partially because the new parish. It's like, whoa, man, I gotta, I gotta do this more. But I'm like, wait, I'm under judgment for this too, right? And Isn't it fascinating how parish life can so often pull us away from the poor? It can. It depends too. Like my former parish, I was never. It was never in my face. Exactly. Well, that's the thing because you can get so preoccupied. We're ground zero in some yeah. ways for it. 
Yeah, but also like you can be uh, so wrapped up in uh, the masses, the sacraments, uh, the the finances, yeah. the 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 actual buildings and the plants, and like you know we're doing a whole lock and binding that you can get so caught up in that the poor can be forgotten. Yeah, and that's because not they okay. won't be in front of you uh all these other problems will be in front of yeah, you and that's um, not okay and i mean like listen poor always means something more than just materially poor although absolutely they deserve something but it could be like the socially poor those who have no one to talk to right it's the spiritually poor mother Teresa says is the worst poverty the poverty mm-hmm. of not being loved all these things so but the thing is i think things like last weekend's gospel are there to call us out of our self-referential nature and we need to start acknowledging this because self-referentiality has kind of infected the church in a very negative way. And this is where this is something Pope Francis has been very good on. And um, and it needs to be challenged both in us as priests and in our people. And that's hard. Part of it too is as priests, we've been trained not to be judgmental in a homily. <laughs> I don't know. Right. Like, you, we've been tra- we've been trained to be very docile and and it's hard. Like I think the reason I got wrapped up in that homily was I saw so many nuances that I would have to make. And so I actually just preached from the heart. Yeah. Because it, it was the only way to not get wrapped up in my head about it. Because I was like, okay, I reckon and part of it is I know this group of people, they're gonna have a hard time hearing about judgment because all they heard was Hellfire and Brimstone sixty years ago. Right. Right. While this group really wants to be comfortable and that needs to be challenged, then there's this group who is probably maybe lukewarm or whatever. And so you recognize there's these different stages and you want to address all of it without alienating anyone. And that's hard to do. That's hard to do. Yeah, that's funny because, I mean, it's very much when you're, when, at least in my preaching experience, is that you don't point the finger at anybody. Yeah. But if you really want to get someone's attention, point your finger. I mean, not at a specific person, but at the congregation. And I think it's okay to do as long as you also point it very yes. specifically back at yourself yes, as well. Yes, absolutely. Um, and not, instead of saying we, saying you yeah. with a pause and I yeah. with emphasis, right? Yeah. Um, yeah, because, and, that's, and that's what I usually do myself. Right, because people don't expect that. They yeah. expect kind of like a, a fluffy, um, uh, a, a, a preaching or a gospel that requires nothing from them. But when you do require something from them, when it becomes a radical encounter, people, most people actually like that because that's the, that's the real stuff. Yeah, so. exactly. So, all right. So how does spiritual worldliness affected us? And, and we've done an episode on Acedia, so I will point you to one of those early episodes. As you guys know, I love to talk about Acedia. I think it's a very important thing to be discussing. Um, so I'm not going to give an overview of it, but really like Acedia, um, if you want more on it, go, f- it's one of our earlier ones. Uh, so I think Acedia it's, is in the title. Yeah, so. it's in the title, so you should be able to easily find it. But just as a little overview, Acedia, in my pithy definition, is the inability to desire the good, right? And it's something, like I would say it is perhaps one of the overarching sins of our day. It is a sin of the world that has infected the church. This is one way spiritual worldliness has infected the church. It's not all of them, but it's one of them. And so, how, okay, so if, if Acedia attacks our, our desire, and this is something I keep on, I don't know, it's been a brainworm for me the last two years. I really believe in the church, we've forgotten how to desire. Does that make sense? Yeah. No, because, I mean, the ability to desire includes pain. Yes. There is a pain in desire. There's a waiting in desire. There's a stretching of a heart in desire. And because we try to avoid pain at all costs, then we will not enter into desire. Right. We will not allow our hearts to expand to receive the gifts God wants to give us. We will distract ourselves. Um, so it's it's a difficulty to enter into desire. And this kind of ties in with what we were talking about last week with suffering, right? Suffering is the form, is one of the most radical places to encounter love. And love is what builds up desire. But we, we and I think, and there's a bunch of reasons. It, it, it's something, it just keeps on coming back to me over and over again. And I, this is the part where I'm like, the idea is there, but perhaps it's not well formed enough yet. And so we'll see where this goes. And I apologize if it sounds confusing. Um, but we've, yeah, I really believe we've forgotten how to desire. And I think there's a lot of reasons for it. I mean, like, listen, this comes out easily, right? This is where the ACD comes in. I want to pray, but I'm just going to go on my phone, mm-hmm. right? Uh, I want to avoid the sin, but really, uh, it's just, it's a lot of work to have to not do that sin. So I'm just going to give in to it, right? 
and so we're really easily distracted. I like to always like to say like distractions, like disattraction is to move you mm. away to a new attraction from the real good in our lives, which is God. So how do we fix this? How do we stop being self-referential? And it's not, you know, and that's, that's, we can just say stop it, but that's not really going to do anything. Right. Yeah. <laughs> um, stop sitting. Right. Stop. So, so this is going to get into a bit of like what I've been, so I, I, one of the things I'm trying to do right now is read more literature. Uh, and so I started reading Brothers Karamazov last week. Ooh. It's like my sixth time trying it. <laughs> um, yeah, it's a, it's a slow one. Well, it's, it's, it's a big book. And so it takes a, and with someone with ADHD like me, it's like, wow, that's just, it becomes, there comes a point where you just lose interest for a moment and then it just falls to the side. So I'm really mm-hmm. trying, but I was really struck by something in this one. And I think there is something to this, the way this is manifested in the book that can be, at least be the beginning of an answer to the problem. And I was, I was really struck that there is what I would call like the concreteness of desire in those first, even in those first few pages, right? Obviously these characters have a lot of worldly ambition, right? The father building up his empire and his property, the sons wanting to get their different inheritances, the youngest Alyosha just wanting to be a monk essentially and be away from the world. But here's the thing, these world, these little desires create the drama the scenes and the conflict in each page that their fundament what they fundamentally want out of life is the driving force of the book already and it's 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 captivating it's riveting i find and i realized um and i realized why it was such a hard book for me to get into in the first place this is a little autobiographical here. And I think this is attached to Acedia because I've mentioned before, Acedia is one of my big sins. It's mm-hmm. definitely one I fall into a lot. Um, I found like this whole like ambition and concrete forms of desire as it plays out in the early drama, untrue in my own life. Hmm. And by like, I had myself been infected with spiritual worldliness with a too abstract view of desire. Desire became too vague. Right, I want God, but it's some distant, like, fog. Right, and that—I that, mean—that part of that's modernism. Like, that's the influence of modernism on our society, where God isn't mediated through His creation. Right, we've talked about that again. Go to modernism podcast. This, this is the yeah. thing. All these little themes are starting to tie together in my head in really powerful ways. Um, but here's the thing: if we want to encounter God. If we want to build up our desire for God, it has to come through concrete things. So if I wanted to desire God, I need to desire uh, the serving of the poor who's at my church door that day. And I have to want it. And I have to desire it. And like that I need to make desire more concrete. I need to choose concrete things through which I'm going to encounter God. And, and so it means doing liturgy. It means visiting the sick it means doing all these things these concrete actions to build up and to make those my ambitions in life if you will Mm -hmm. does this make sense like i'm making sense i I know this is this is this is still a bit vague in my own mind i recognize that but to go like we we need to remember we that the desire for god is through things not not without them i think part of like okay i think part of it is we have facilitated in our mindset that desiring anything of this world is a bad thing for a Christian to do, and so we shouldn't care. But that that's not even the like Ignatius's idea of indifference, for example, is not that. It's not like a quietism that's just uninterested. It's a, I want what God wants through these things. It could be riches, it could be poverty, it could be sickness, it could be health. It doesn't matter, but I want God through something. But I think we've become indifferent to any ah, oh, it doesn't matter. I don't care, and that's that's a sign of acedia. and so that's a sign of a lack of desire. 
Yeah, um, and I think something about that, con- like we have to, des- our desire for God is always going to be mediated for it to be real. Yeah. Right? Uh, so those concrete things. Um, and this is, I mean, I'm thinking about the uh, Jose Maria Escriva's um, uh, heroic minutes, oh. getting out of your bed in one minute, you know, in one minute, <laughs> how as soon as your alarm goes How off. dare you? How dare you? <laughs> it is, it is the atomic bomb versus acedia is the, um, it it's is. like the most powerful and dangerous weapon. Um, uh, but yeah. And like, how do, how we have to, uh, concretely desire these concrete things. So how do you do that? Uh, like in prayer to remind yourself of the goodness of these particular things of, mm-hmm. of waking up and praying, mm-hmm. right. To remind yourself and to pray about, uh, how, yeah, looking at my phone is in some, as soon as I wake up is a comforting thing. Mm-hmm. It is a routine, mm-hmm. but I always feel sluggish then in the morning. Yep. I know that if I do not encounter God as the first thing that I do, that it's going to mess up the rest of my day. Right. Um, and then, to remind yourself of all the ways God has shown you his love. Mm-hmm. So to be reminded of God's desire for you. Because mm-hmm. when someone really loves you and you experience that love, that awakens us a desire to love that person back, right? Uh, so uh, it is, it's a building up of virtue. Uh, it's yeah. building up of new habit. And that has to happen in, in small, concrete right. uh, ways. But this is the thing. It's like, yeah, it has to be like, and it has to be really like it, that it's okay to desire things of the world. If like things of creation, like, give like, an example. Like, like, like okay, um, let me actually. This is where I'm really bad. I'm always bad at examples. Okay, what about yeah, this? Okay. And tell me if I'm right or wrong. Okay, and this is goes back to a tweet we uh, talked about a while ago. How uh, the uh, that one free tweet about the Dominican friar who uh, was asked, "Do you want to be the best Dominican ever?" Yes, that's a great example. Yeah. Right. So like like for me, concretely, like. Um, do I want to be a good preacher? I should want to be a good yeah, preacher. Yeah, I should yeah. want to be a good priest. Like, like you should, if you're a dad, you should want to be a good dad. That's not a um, prideful thing to say. That's a good desire to have. Yeah. Right? But we've been, I think we've been, it's just for whatever reason, and I think it's part of the spiritual worldliness, those ambitions have been removed from us, partly because they involve sacrifice, mm. right? And they involve love, and they involve suffering to get them. It means oh, wait, I can't spend two hours in front of the TV every day if I want to do these things? Huh. Am I willing to give this up? So it it, it focuses our choices and our decisions in a much more radical way. And that, it, it yes, the desire of God is a, the ultimate goal, but it's always going to be through these things. Like, mm-hmm. yeah, like it's fun, interesting. Like when I read that Dominican's tweet, I'm like, wow, that's like, I, yeah, my thought was prideful, right? But no, it's not. No, I I should I want to be a saint. Well, how am I going to be a saint by being a good preacher, being a good, do my best to be a good governor of my parish? You know, being generous generous with my time, um, making what choices. Didn't, what made what set Saint Ignatius of Loyola on the path of saintliness? He was reading the lives of the, the saints, saints and was imagining what would what what if I did what they did? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and then he kind of went and did it <laughs> exactly. And I, yeah. but that's and I think you see here's the thing: we have a hard time desiring God because we're avoiding the concrete things. And so it just becomes this fog in our brain. It's mm-hmm. like, it stays ephemeral and, and vague and far away. But it's like, if I want God, I have to choose him. Like this is, yep. um, this is kind of Pascal's argument, like his wager. Mm-hmm. It's, it's not really a, an intellectual thing. It's actually a lived thing for him, right? For those who don't know what Pascal's wager is, he says, God either exists or doesn't exist. And so really there's four options of life. We can live as if God exists and he exists. We can live as if God exists and he doesn't exist. We can live as if God doesn't exist and he exists. And we can live as if God doesn't exist and he doesn't exist. He says, really, the only the only reasonable choice is actually to live as if he does exist. That's really uh, simplifying it, but that's roughly yeah. what he says. But this yeah. is the thing. He actually expects this to be a lived response. So that in living these choices, you actually see he actually does exist. Mm-hmm. But we need to actually start making these concrete choices and we need to actually desire these good things, not in a self-helpy, I'm going to become the best version of myself, but rather in a, I'm going to become a saint through these things, but I need to actually start desiring them. Like, and it's a way of going outside yourself. Yes, exactly. You're exactly. focused on the good that is not you. Yeah, exactly. So to be a good pastor, it means I'm going to have to look out for the poor. 
I'm going to yeah. have to reach out to the to the socially isolated parishioners. I'm going to be a good theologian. Like I want to be a good theologian. Well, that means yeah. I have to sacrifice time to study, to read, and to sacrifice to write, even though I hate it sometimes, because I have to focus myself. And I have to want to desire those things. And that it's okay to desire to be the best theologian possible. It's okay to desire yeah. to be the best priest possible, according to the gifts and talents and place that God has placed you. But it's not wrong to have those ambitions. And I think we we thought, I don't know why, maybe it's just me, but I have a feeling I'm not the only one. Uh, where these ambitions became vague and flowery, and we just never really did anything concrete. Am I? Then they cease to be. They cease to be dangerous because to actually do this means that yeah. your life is radically going to change, yeah. and that people's lives around you will they they'll be forced to encounter the reality of God by yeah. the way that you live. Exactly, and that will and that will and persecution will come with that. Yeah, uh, I mean, just straight up awkwardness will come with oh, that, yes. right? Yeah, and in keeping God vague keeps God comfortable. Yes. Uh, keeping, if you yes. remove the incarnation, yes. it, Christianity is really easy once you remove the incarnation. Yes, that's it's a great easy phrase. to do. Yeah, yeah, cool. Does that that make sense? So that makes sense. I, it's it's still working out in my mind, but this is yeah. a good way to. I'm process not sure it. if we. I'm not sure. I think if we went for another half hour, we could take all the points that we made and connect them. But I think they do connect somehow. So, okay. so I'll give a quick. I think that's good I'll, enough I'll, for today. I'll give a quick one minute overview. Okay, I, go I can't for do it. that. Spiritual worldliness is self-referential spirituality. It's saying all I care about is myself. All I care about is number one. One of the ways that expresses itself in our life as Christians is through acedia, where I've lost the ability to desire. And so all I think about is myself. I don't think about others. I don't choose others. Acedia expresses itself in the loss of desire itself. And so for Christians, we actually need to rediscover desiring concrete things, to have ambitions for concrete things whereby our desire for God increases, spiritual worldliness leaves ourselves, and we live the law of the gift. The end. The end. Cool. There we go. Uh, yeah, cool. So thanks for listening. Uh, please check us out on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, everywhere you can find a podcast. Please leave a review as well. Those really help. Uh, please tell your friends about the podcast and tell your enemies too, because Jesus says you must love your enemies. You can find me on Twitter at FR Harrison. You can find me adventuring in Dungeons and Dragons. You can find the podcast on Twitter at ClericalPod. You can email us clericallyspeaking at gmail.com. Find us on Facebook and now on YouTube. And uh, please give us a drop us an email, say hi, and we will see you all next week. God bless. Peace.